week seven of Thread Letters as we go through the Lord's Prayer. And it's not in your notes on the back of your worship guide, but I invite you to write it down somewhere. Prayer is the key to everything you should do and be. Prayer is the key to everything you should do and be. We've been saying it since the beginning, but many times prayer is the key to kind of getting out of that jam because I didn't really study for that test, right? College student. Uh, Prayer is the key to Jesus take the wheel. Like prayer is the key to whoopsie God uh, instead of everything we should do and be. Who we're becoming, what we are doing. Prayer takes a searchlight and goes into the chasm of your heart. And when the psalmist says, search my heart, O God, find anything in me that's not pleasing to you. It's like he puts his searchlight on our heart and we're able to become stronger and mature in him. We're we're able to uh, grow because we don't see everything uh, in us. He sees it in us and we invite him to search our hearts. We've gone one piece after the next all through the Lord's prayer. And today we get to this very powerful stanza, this very powerful phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we began by reading of the psalmist David in Psalm 51. David, as a a wee child, is anointed in in his living room in front of his other brothers. His mom and dad didn't quite, must not have thought very much of him. Think about the father issues, the daddy issues David grew up with. Think think, think about this. All of the other boys are coming to be anointed to determine who's going to be the next king of Israel. And Jesse didn't even think to bring David You ever felt uh, disqualified? You ever felt like maybe overlooked? I'm the youngest. You know, you ever ever felt, felt like that? David certainly had to deal with some daddy issues. Nevertheless, he comes and he's anointed at a young age. Doesn't even understand the whole deal. Later, he waits and waits and waits. He's even in the presence of the king, playing the harp for the king. He's in the shep- He's in the uh, pasture, killing lions and, and, and bears and finally killing a, a Goliath. He's, he's standing face to waist with a giant and he destroys the giant with one stone. It's, a, it's an amazing story of an unbelievable hero that had a... a that was a man after God's own heart. That wasn't his words. That was God's words about him. He becomes a strong king. And later in his story, we realize that after many, many battles and many, many victories, we come to the point where he got a little lazy. He got a little comfy. He got a little comfortable. The Bible opens up in 2 Samuel 5 about how When all the other kings were at war, David stayed home and he went up and did some of his, you know, his yoga stuff on the top of the palace and was running on his Peloton treadmill. And before he knows it, he said, man, look at this kingdom. The sun is setting. The the stars are are beginning to show there in the Middle East and bingo in the moonlight, Bathsheba. And I'm not going to, and, and There she is, bathing in the moonlight. David says, who is that? And one of his guards says, isn't that Bathsheba, Uriah's wife? Say no more, say no more. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. In other words, isn't that a married woman? Don't you already have five wives, David? I know it's complicated. Do not put David into 21st century Christianity. I can barely make one wife happy. Five, dear Lord. He says, go get her. And Bathsheba, it's not like this uh, is an unfolding of some Danielle Steele novel, okay? This isn't some romantic uh, escapade. Uh, This is is unlimited power out of control. David wanted something and he took it. 
So, so don't get it twisted that Bathsheba is some sort of, may, maybe she embraced David. Maybe, but she had, no, she had no like freedom in it, whether she embraced it or not. He's the king and she does what the king says to do. They have sex. She goes home. Later on, she sends a little text message. Hey, pregnant. He's like, (laughs) and so instead of sitting everybody down and saying, look, here's the deal. um, He tries to cover up the whole deal. He tries to cover up the scandal and he gets, tries to get Uriah drunk, brings him off the battlefield, uh, gives him some, some whiskey and and they're just enjoying and and Uriah won't go. He goes, go home to your wife, go home to your wife. He's like, no, I'm going to stay at the palace for you, David. You, you, David. David's like, okay, that's not going to work. Cause like, you know, he's got to be with his wife in order to cover the whole thing up. And so instead he sends a letter to one of his generals. He says, in the heat of the battle tomorrow, put your eye all the way up front. And on that day of the battle, many, many people lost their lives, including Uriah. And after a time of mourning to cover up the whole thing, David calls for Bathsheba and she comes into the presence of the king. They get married and later they announce over the, you know, over the large uh, uh, atrium, uh, hey, we're having a child and they're so excited. Oh, but there's another guy involved, the prophet of Israel named Nathan. And God has revealed the whole seedy affair to Nathan. Nathan goes into the throne room and he says, King, can I share a story with you? He says, share on. He says, there's a, a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man has hundreds of lambs. Just rich beyond measure, hundreds of lambs. And the poor man, he has hardly anything except one little ewe lamb, and this little ewe lamb isn't just a lamb. This, is, this isn't just like something in the, in the, in the field. The, the, this poor man loves this little lamb like, like, a, like, a, like a child. Whenever the poor man would eat, he would let the little lamb eat off of his plate. Whenever he would take a drink from his cup, he would let his little lamb drink from the cup. And one day, this rich man was having a party with all his other rich friends. And instead of killing one of his hundreds of lambs, he had one of his messengers cross over the street to the poor man, take his lamb, slaughter that lamb, and they ate his lamb for appetizers. And David is ticked. He jumps off of his throne and he says, who's the man? Bring him here off with his head. And then this iconic moment with this iconic character, Nathan says, you're the man. You're, you're the guy. Uriah had one little lamb and you took his lamb. You took his lamb and then you took his life. I've told the story many times. David could have flipped out. David could have put a javelin through uh, Nathan's throat, said, don't you talk to me like that. I'm the king here. He could have denied it. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. But instead, David humbles himself and he writes Psalm 51. I've sinned. And he goes through a process and there's wounds. Later, David and Bathsheba in a marriage that never should have happened. Now, I want, I, this may be the main reason why some of you are listening today. That marriage never should have happened. Solomon never should have been born. 
But a few hundred years later, a new king was coming, not with a golden throne and down blankets, but wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger. And this new king would come from the line of David, not through one of his many sons, but through Solomon. What? Jesus would come through the line of a man who never should have been born, the result of an adulterous affair that came into murder and then into a marriage that was really a farce to cover up the whole thing. And yet Jesus chooses to come from that lineage. It just must mean he's a God that forgives. And he's a God that you may be on plan R today. You, you're way past plan B. <laughs> you're on plan like double L. God can take plan double L and turn it to plan A again. It's the way he works. That's the grace and goodness and love of God. David admits what he's done wrong and he's still known. God says this, not David. David didn't write this about himself. God said, he's a man after my own heart. How does a man after his own heart go through all that stuff and find himself okay on the other side? Okay. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So let me put my plaid salesman pants on, okay? And let me give you a little bit of a hassle-free guarantee, okay? Here it is. What if I told you? What if I told you there was a process? There was a process. And if you engaged it, process part A, B, C, all the way down. There was a process that no matter how much you blew up your life, And I mean, you messed it up royal. You threw it in the trash or someone else blew up your life. And yet there was still a process that if you used this process, if you engaged the steps in the process, you could come out whole on the other side. No matter what would happen, no matter how crazy, no matter how deep, no matter how ugly, no matter how seedy, no matter how much the reputation was stained, you could still come out whole on the other side. How many of you say, I kind of like to know that. I'd like to, I'll order that late uh, at night on, uh, you know, as seen on TV. I'll get that process for the low cost of $9.99 a month. You can go into my master class right here on Facebook and you can learn this process. This process has a name. And it's not just a process, it's a prayer. And it is the prayer of repentance. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. You mean to tell me, no matter how bad I jack up my life, that if I repent, if I just simply say, I'm sorry, that I can make it through hell on earth? What? <laughs> Say what? And I can tell you if that's your response to the prayer of repentance, then you really don't understand the power of this kind of prayer. If you cough up the understanding of repentance to just what? Come on then you don't understand the kind of power that Jesus is inviting you to engage in when we, when we say to him, forgive us our debts. 
as we forgive our debtors. And so today with the time we have, I just want to, I want to cover three pieces. Okay. I want, I want all of us. And, and this is for me too. stop doing this, start doing this. And then how to do those two things. You gotta, there's some things you gotta stop. You ever have to tell you get, stop it. Just stop, stop it. Don't do that. Start doing this. And then how do you get the power to do it? How do you, how do you muster up enough courage? How do you bite your bottom lip? How, how do you put your nose to the grindstone enough to be able to really do it? So let's start with, how do you stop doing this? There's something, if you're going to really understand the power of repentance, the power of this piece of the fabric of the Lord's prayer, write this down. You've got to stop denying my great capacity for sin and great need for forgiveness. There is not going to be a season in your life, whether you think it will be or not, that you will not have in you the innate ability to screw everything up because you are like a sheep and you go astray. You just you, you, you go astray. You see the tall weeds and he has prepared for me in Psalm 23 paths of right. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his namesake. But we'd love to just go whoop, right into the thick weeds. And you got that cougar waiting. And I'm not talking about that older lady. <laughs> Maybe I am. I don't know. Who knows? Sin is sin. You got to stop denying the fact that, that, that you are, you have brokenness and your pastor does not stand and preach from an element of perfected life. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And there's something powerful about the Lord's prayer that it's not what you pray right before you get baptized and then only pray it on your deathbed. You come back to it because we need this. We need this. Otherwise, you lose your blessedness in poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you're poor in spirit, you know there's nothing I could do. I can't earn my way out of my need for salvation, out of my need for Jesus. But what we do as Americans, we get middle class in spirit. Well, if I go to church, I do these things. I give homage to the great man, big man upstairs. If I show up to church, serve every once in a while, if I throw the token check in, you know, all those things, this and that and the other, and then I'm going to be okay. No, that's not how it works. We all have the capacity to mess up our lives. And David shows us in Psalm 51. In verse five, he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, if you don't understand what he's saying, that almost sounds like my mama was a bad mama. Like she was, she was being sinful and she conceived me in sin in a relationship that never should have happened. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that ever since I was birthed, I have great capacity to sin and I am in deep need of forgiveness. No matter whether I was anointed at 14 to be the next king, whether I killed a giant, whether I have slain my 10,000s and my predecessor, his thousands, it does not matter. I am in need. We are all, we are born with the capacity of sinning greatly, greatly. Your beautiful baby can become an unbelievable bully. Your baby can become a bully. 
parents can struggle with that when they hear news that maybe their child has been a bully. Not my kid. We're born with the capacity of sinning greatly. David is showing, he is talking about murder. He's talking about adultery. He's, he's talking about all kinds of the, the, the deep, the big sins we would consider, right? The big, the big ones. And he's saying, that was in me as a kid. As a kid? As a baby? Yes, yes, yes. If nurtured properly, you know, how, you know how kids can just be cruel these days? How adults can be like, and how adults can be kids and be cruel today? Just throw in like an election in the middle of all this. Adults be acting like kids. Kid, 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 brats. Idiots. Some of your, some, some, yeah, anyway, I'll just move on. <laughs> and here's the problem. Not only are we born with the capacity of sinning greatly, many times we don't see it coming. Because you know what we say? When you messed up big, you say, I didn't see it coming. And everybody else, I told you, I said she was bad news. I know. I told you he wasn't right for you. He was the same as the other three guys. I know, but his eyes. I, how you, 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 you didn't see that. I didn't see it coming because we ignore the fact that all of us have the capacity to sin. Now, what is sin? Sin isn't the act I commit. It's the authority I reject. So we, we, we build up on certain acts that cause sin, but the sin in and of itself is not the action as much as it is the authority we've rejected. And I'll dive into that in a little bit more. There's this show on Netflix called Broadchurch. It's off of BBC. I can't vouch for everything in it, but I enjoyed watching it while I did. But like I said, I'm not Siskel and Ebert, okay? So I'm not giving you two thumbs up or whatever. So just you, you move on. In this show, the whole idea of Broadchurch in this BBC program um, is there's been a heinous murder of a child. And there's an investigator inside this little town that's close to the family. And the police force bring in an outside investigator to help with the case. And the inside investigator who's close to the family, she says, there's no one in town who could have done this. There's no one in town who could have done this. But the guy from the outside who has a different perspective, he says, no, anybody's capable of murder given the right circumstances. Given the right circumstances. I, I, I couldn't imagine myself murdering somebody. Until, until I see my child being harmed and then I don't know what I have the capacity to do. I, I, no, I know what I have the capacity to do. I have that capacity in me. She says, no, 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 no. Most people have a moral compass and the outside investigator says this line. He says, moral compasses break. And what can happen is there's not enough morality and goodness. There's not enough restraint in us to keep us as morally good people. What we need is our hearts changed. Above all else, guard your heart for out of it flows everything. And what Jesus wants to do is not just give you a good morally restrained life. He wants to change your heart because if your heart and your own morality and just being a good person, because mom and dad said, don't do that. That's not enough to keep you from sinning. 
We need a moral compass is the word of God, not our own moral restraint. The word of God becomes our compass, but your own morality can break under the right circumstances. So number one, what do you got to stop? Stop living in denial. Stop living in denial that forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors was something I prayed a long time ago. You and I are in need of a savior. We're in need of forgiveness. This isn't about, let's listen to me close. This isn't about you being afraid that I have to say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, because I'm afraid that if I died tonight, I'd go to hell because I didn't ask Jesus to forgive me. You, you, can, you can walk with confidence in your salvation, but there's something powerful about every day recognizing the fact that you ain't God and you've got issues. And every day, he says, that's why it's, this is what you pray every day. If it weren't prayed every day, we wouldn't say, give us this day daily bread. We pray the Lord's prayer every day. So we're praying every day, forgive us our debts because you have an ever increasing issue and opportunity to fall into debt with your sins. Your moral compass can break. So you got to stop denying the fact that you have capacity to sin and sin big. You got to start doing these things. You stop living in denial and start living with these two elements. And you really, you won't get, engage the power of repentance prayer. And this is why some people say, say, what? Prayer of repentance. I can come out the end. I can go through the valley of the shadow of death, not fear of evil because you're with me and I can make it through that by, by repenting. Yeah. If you can engage the truth of, of how you get the power to do it. Two ways. Number one, you got to have a full, clean confession of sin. A full, clean confession. Three key elements here. A full, all the way, no holds barred, 100%, full on. Clean. It's not dirtied by excuses, minimalizations, and rationalizations. We'll dive into that in a second. And then confession, like admitting it, admitting it. Look what, look what David says in Psalm 51 about his sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He didn't say I made a boo-boo. He actually calls it sin, calls it transgressions. I rejected your authority. Now, if it's us, we like to kind of take that off. And, and here's what we, if we were writing our own poem to go into the annals of history, we would probably write it. This may, this sounds like you. I don't know if it, maybe it sounds a little bit like me. It may, this may be kind of when I uh, have, 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 have been wrong to Janet and not treated her right. And I've sinned against her. I probably, I, I say that I probably should have, you know, maybe I probably should have thought that through a little bit more before I said that. Okay. All right. But you don't know the pressure I'm under. You know the stress. And don't forget that whenever you do that, like you're doing this, and you know, I'll do something. She'll say, "Oh, that was a really smooth move, Pastor Jeremy." And I'm like, "God bless you." But we minimalize our sin. I probably should have thought that through. I was sitting down counseling a family, and one of the persons in the family said time and time again. I probably, I probably shouldn't have done it exactly like that. And the truth is, he's abs- no, he should not have done it like that at all. Case closed. But we like to give a little safety catch. Uh, you know, things, pressure, uh, the job. I probably should have ought to caught enough. You know, we had my bad. <laughs> I kind of had a lapse of good judgment there, Jesus. <laughs> 
whoopsies. Like that's how we, that's how we pray forgiveness. That's how we pray repentance. Whoopsie. And that's what we do. We minimize and we rationalize. So we minimize by saying, okay, I hurt your feelings by what I said. A lot of people that wouldn't hurt their feelings, but if it hurt yours, I'm sorry. That's kind of the way I roll. You know, uh, my dad's kind of like shoot straight. And that's kind of what I, I kind of grew up chip off the old block. And so I'm sorry that, that that bothered you. But like, do you understand though, also the pressure that I'm under and kind of the timeline and the deadline. And so the reason I treated you that way is because I really need you to respond to this. Anybody ever minimize like that? We rationalize. Well, I, you know what? I, I wouldn't have done that, but I've just been... I mean, the pressure at work has been crazy. I wouldn't have had that need or that, even the need for that outlet of um, like, they just, you know what? They showed me attention. They showed me attention and I know it wasn't right. But you know, like I've been trying to get attention from my spouse for a long time. And finally, somebody says this. Someone shows me the attention that I've been craving so then I did. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I messed up, but, but had you just maybe shown me some more attention and we minimize and we rationalize and the truth is write it down. Real repentance begins when the blame shifting ends. David shows us, I did it. It wasn't her fault. Well, has she not been bathing all there naked and whatnot? What am I supposed to do with the King? I got it. I got needs. She could have had a shower, you know, a a curtain or something. He didn't rationalize. He didn't minimize. I'm the king. I own everything. I'm going to take what I want. It is what it is. I'm the king. Real repentance begins when the blame shifting ends. The king of Israel says, I did it. It's my responsibility. I was wrong. I have the capacity to do terrible things. And this is also part of why God says you're a man after my own heart because you get the power of being honest about your issues. Full confession, full confession. Number two, a deep heart renunciation. A deep into the soul, deep heart renunciation to push back, to say no. And this is why people can get into a cycle beyond addictions, beyond chemical things and psychological things. But we we can go back to the same sins. We can go back to the same patterns like a dog returns to their vomit. We can go back to the same kind of patterns in our lives because we may confess, but it comes from a, sometimes it can come from a, I got caught. You know your kids. I know my kids. I know me. You, you, You may apologize and say, forgive me because it was more like you don't like the consequences. You don't like, fine, you're grounded from Fortnite for a week. Okay, I swear, I'll swear, I'll never say that again, I promise. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. Don't want to be grounded for a week. I like this. That's that's self-pity. That's blame shifting. That's all the very, that's not really a deep-hearted renunciation. Look what David does. David says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your eyes. Notice two things. First of all, notice the doubling up of you, you. Against you, you only. You, you. Why is that? That is a, that is a method, like a hyperbole. It's raining caps and dogs. This is, this is a method in Hebrew literature to show passion. When you repeat something like that, it's showing 
passion. Later on, one of David's own sons is going to form a coup d'etat and a civil war against David. His name is Absalom. And Absalom is killed in battle after this civil war ensues. And it breaks David's heart because he loves Absalom. And in 2 Samuel 18, the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. He said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. There was deep passion. There, there, there was something in there trying to show the depth of emotions here. Later on, Jesus will say that there are people, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, these are passionate people. These aren't just churchy kind of people kind of just doing their own thing. Bless God, Sunday, I'll give them, but Saturday, nightclub. These are like people that are like passion, Lord, Lord. They say it and they don't enter the kingdom of heaven. Even Jesus on the cross shows this, this pattern when he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The passion in those words. David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. So it's a deep hearted understanding that this isn't about getting caught. This isn't about the consequences. This is about the passionate reality that I've sinned against God. Now stop, hold the phone, hang on. Against you, you only have I sinned? What? Like he's, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. The dude's dead. He sinned against his own wives. He sinned against his own family. He, against, he sinned against the nation. The nation's looking at him to uphold the law and be the king. And he sinned against the nation. But he says against you, you only have I sinned. Yes, he's understanding something that you and I need to do in order to go deeper into the renunciation of our sin. The deep hearted renunciation. Write it down. Under every sin is a sin against God. It's not just the sin that you committed against someone. It's that you sinned against God. When you go to the list of the Ten Commandments, there's several in there. Um, don't steal, don't kill, uh, don't lie. You would never have to worry about breaking those commandments if you kept the first. And the first commandment, have no other gods. Have no other gods before me. No other gods. Because basically what sin is, is saying, I want other gods before you. Sin is saying, I want to sit on the throne of my heart. I want to sit on the throne of decision-making. I want to sit on the throne of control. I want to sit on the throne of whatever feels right, seems right, looks right, tastes right to me. And even though, even though God might say it this way, this is the way it is today in 2020. And I've just chosen that I'm going to do it this way. And maybe God will forgive me. You, you're not going to make it out on the other side if that's your process. Because you're denying his authority. Under every sin is a sin. So when we say, have no, God says, have no other gods before me, I would never steal. You know why? Because why would we steal? Why would you ever steal? Sometimes just because it's the wrong thing to do and you just kind of, it's, the, it's kind of the emotions of, Doing something naughty, just doing something, who knows? It's like woo, a little bit of excitement there. But think about this. If that brings you a fulfillment, God is the one who fulfills us. 
God is the one who provides and protects and sustains and his grace is sufficient for us. When I steal, I need something. I'm saying, God, you can't provide for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to cheat on my taxes. The government doesn't, they don't do a good job. I'll do a better job with the money that I can kind of finagle here than they'll ever do. So I'm going to, I'm going to push that under the table. I'm going to account for more there. I'm going to account for more here. I'm going to steal because God, I don't trust that you really are the provider. I know you say that, that if, uh, you know, if a sparrow gets fed every day, if the flowers are clothed, how much more you will take care of me, but I'm going to put this in my own hands and by sinning against God, we steal lie. Why would we ever lie? You know why a lot of people lie? Many times they lie to show a better presentation of themselves, to build the value in themselves. Did you get that done when I asked you to? Yeah, yeah, I got it done. Hey, are, are you done with that project? Hey, yeah, it's, 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 it's done. And then you're like, oh, crud, I forgot about that project. Why? Because you don't want someone to feel bad about you. You don't want someone to think bad about you. You're insecure on their opinion about you versus God's opinion about who I am, God's protection, God's provision, God's value over my life. And I know that no matter how I let down someone over here, God is for me. God's for me, but I'll lie. And I'm really committing a sin because I don't trust God in my identity. And the truth is a deep heart renunciation isn't about breaking the law. It's not about breaking the law. It, it, it's, it's about trampling his heart, trampling the heart of God. Is that even possible? Yeah. In Genesis, the Bible talks about how uh, God's heart was grieved over humanity. God has all emotion. He can grieve like a widow next to a casket. He knows what it feels like to to feel the utmost emotion. And we trample his heart when we sin. And so it's not about following the straight and narrow, the big man upstairs and not going to the right or to the left, but it's because we love him. We want to keep his commandments because of his love. I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and say, mm, for richer, for poor in sickness and health till death do his part. Oh, I gotta, gotta oh, stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful. No, I I love my wife and it's out of the love that I keep my vows. It's out of the love that I keep my vows. It's not the vows that produce the love. Sometimes love is a choice. It's not, it's always a choice. It's never the feeling. And I have to understand that when I, when I, when I'm really going to get out on the other side, I've got to have a deep heart renunciation that I, I don't want to break the heart of God. He loves me and he gives grace. I don't want to take advantage of that. Paul says, what, you just keep sinning so grace can abound that much more? You don't understand the heart of God. David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Sin feels good in a moment. Sin is, you know what? Sin is fun. Some sin is fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun for a moment. It's fun. Sin is like that redneck with those famous last words, you know, watch, hold my beer, watch this. And then it's, 
seemed like a good idea at the time. Shooting the ATV over the barn. I thought, I thought that little mattress was going to, you know, be okay. It, it wasn't, Ralph. It wasn't. And, and what happens is we think it's fun. It, 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 it may even give you a temporary short-term gain. But the long-term. See, here's the challenge of following Jesus. Short-term Many times you feel like you're giving up a lot. Oh, but the long-term gain, the long-term gain is unreal. Sin, short-term, long-term, whoa. Following Jesus, short-term, surrender. Short-term, sacrifice. Short-term, repentance. Long-term, whoa, whoa. That's the kind of invitation Jesus is giving us today. We so easily forget what he provides. We're addicted to control and happiness. And David is saying, this wasn't really about the affair. This was about my spiritual affair. This wasn't about sex with a married woman who wasn't mine. This is about, I got lazy when all the other kings were at war. I got lazy and used to this anointing that you placed on my life. I got prideful. I got self-centered. I got focused on me. I said, get off the throne of my heart. I want to be on the throne. And it led me to do some crazy things. And I sinned against you and you alone. So would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Because when I know what you provide, I don't need a temporary sexual fix to feel valued. I, I don't need the words of affirmation. So I'll do anything. I'll say anything. I'll, I'll try to prove myself. I don't have to be, I don't have to get in the last, I don't have to get the last word in edgewise because you, you're, you're my advocate. You know, you know my heart. So return to me the joy, not of getting the last word in the joy of not that, that temporary sexual fulfillment, not, not that temporary feel good moment that, that is fleeing. Restore the joy of my salvation of just being in you. And you love me and you have a plan for me and you care about me and I'm a sheep and you're the shepherd and I'm a child and you're the father and I can trust you. I can trust you. So how do you access the power to do that? Because it's not about biting your bottom lip and saying, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> do you ever do that as a kid? Your mom chasing after you. She found out what you did. You're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's chasing you around the dining room table with a paddle in one hand. You got speed. Jesus gives you a spirit and power. That ain't Jesus. That's, that's adrenaline. <laughs> that's, a, that's adrenaline. Mom would spank us with a paddle. And uh, one way we knew we could get out of a, of a, uh, get like a lesser punishment, we would put squeaky toys in our pants. She'd say, bend over that bunk bed. And she, you know, and she couldn't handle it. That was, a, that was the secret. Teenagers, if you're still getting swats. Kids, if you're in the room, KidWorks is much better. I promise you, you need to go to KidWorks next week. But that's, that's a guaranteed mom's going to lose it or get really, really ticked. I, either way, it could have gone both ways. Okay. Many times it went the bad way. All right. 
How do you access the power to do it? It's not about you ever doing anything. Do you know why Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that when I come again, I'll receive you into myself that where I am, you may be also. He prepares the place. You don't prepare the place. You got to get off the works-based stuff. We are so works-based, it's crazy. We are works, 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 works. Now, faith without works is dead. We ought to do things, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved, we want to do things for the Father. We want to serve. We get to serve. We get to do the right thing, not because we're trying to earn something, but because we've been given something. And it's one way to just so Jesus, you're so good, you're so great, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to serve. How do you gain access to the power to do it? It's not saying the Lord's prayer 10 times really slow. It's, it's not getting to church on time on Sunday. Although that's wise. Okay. It's wise. You ought to be in church. You ought to be, you ought to be, but it's not about the church attendance. In fact, David shows us at the very first verse of Psalm 51, have mercy on me. O God. According to all of my prayers, according to what I can do, according to my kingship, according to my track record of killing giants and defeating Philistines and whatnot. No, 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 no. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. You're so good and I'm not. It's all according to understanding his steadfast love and his abundant. I have limits. I can only take so much and I lose it. Jesus can handle your sin. He can handle your track record. He can handle your junk. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Oh, oh, even that thing. Yeah, even that thing, even that thing. Oh, then James, the half brother of Jesus says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. I go to God for forgiveness of my sin. And there's something powerful about having someone in your corner that you can say, I messed up because there's healing Sin grows in the darkness, but when it comes into the light, when there's a full confession, a deep-hearted renunciation, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. There's something powerful about that unity. How good and pleasing it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. When we are unified and I confess my sin to another, I'm, I get healed because there's this caring of one another's burdens. The truth is when it comes to Jesus and his forgiveness and his love and his mercy, I cannot earn it. I can't earn it. Good news is I can't unearn it. He's already paid for it. He's already paid for it. Now, what that means is, does that mean that you will, that, 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 that like you can't ever, ever walk away from him? The, the, the truth is this. Here, here's, here's really what hell is. Okay. Hell is real. Heaven is real, but we have been so good at scaring the hell out of people in church. You know, we want you to be scared of Jesus. Like what? Like if you're scared of Jesus, you don't, you're, you, you don't know Jesus. You don't really know the real Jesus. 
If you're afraid of God, somebody sold you the wrong God. He's a good father. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not waiting on the other side of the walls of heaven, waiting for you to mess up so he can go, zing, I'm going to give him cancer because of that. Zing, you're out now. Well, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Here's the truth. Here's the truth about hell. If you don't want to live with God as the one on your throne on this side of eternity, he's not going to, he loves you so much. He would not force you to live with him for eternity. If you don't want him to be the king here, he's not going to force you to be in his kingdom there. Because the greatest thing about hell isn't what you would read about fire and brimstone. The greatest, most daunting thing about hell is separation from God. Like, that's the deepest, hardest thing about hell. And it is real. If you don't want to serve him, he's not going to force you to serve him for eternity. I can't earn it. I can't unearn it, but I can choose that if I want to live as my will be done, he'll say, okay, your will be done. You can be the king forever. On the one hand, David shows us I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve this. In fact, did you, do you see what he said in Psalm 51? Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The truth is God was showing his love to David in this. David didn't understand the cross. David hadn't seen the crucifixion. David was hundreds of years before Jesus would come in the form of of being born of a virgin and live a sinless life and and, and teach the truth and the gospel and fulfill all the law and die a, a death for yours and my sin and then raise three days later in that same power that gives us the ability to follow him and love him and serve him and prepare a place for us now. David didn't have all that. David didn't see the cross. He couldn't understand it. So he's saying, cast me not away. And so you know what God does in his kindness, in his love? God says, hey, I won't cast you out, but I will cast my own son out. I'm gonna prove my unfailing and steadfast love and mercy, my abundant mercy and my steadfast love. I'm gonna prove it to you. Instead of you being cast out, I'm I'm gonna have my own son leave the comfort and the beauty of heaven to be born in a barn in the middle of the mess, to be spat upon and mocked and ridiculed, stripped naked and beaten and hung on a cross. And he's gonna choose that. I'm not gonna force him. Before he's ever on the cross, he's gonna say, not my will, yours be done. He could have have left in secret from the garden. He could have went through the back door of the garden, but he chose to do what he did on the cross for you and for me. Cast me not. He said, okay, I won't cast you out, but I will place it on my son for you. And so on the one hand, I'm unworthy, but on the other hand, I'm confident that he's a father, that he did that to his one and only son that so all of us who believe in him won't perish but can have everlasting life. I hope you get this down into the deep heart. The deep heart. Don't let it be surfacy to you. Let me finish with this. An interesting caveat as we're done today. Here's an interesting caveat to the Lord's prayer, okay? This is kind of, this is, this is crazy, okay? 
Remember how we read earlier in the service and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And do you know how you close a prayer? Usually you say something along the lines of in Jesus name. Exactly. You know, the prayer is over. Amen. So if you want to like trick some people at lunch today, you say, we ask all these things in Jesus name. And everybody like kits their fork and you get, and one more thing, Lord, all the children all across the world, <laughs> like, like just kind of Jesus juke them. You know, <laughs> that's a Jesus juke. <laughs> Don't say amen. Then just go into another four minute prayer and they're starving. <laughs> Jesus is perfect, but it's almost like Jesus says, oh, wait, 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 before you go. Wait, 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 I, I'm teaching you how to pray, but, but, but I know I said it, man. Hang on, hang on, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hang on, hold up, back it up. Because the very next verse, he says, mm, I don't know if I made this clear or not. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But, but if you do not forgive others their sins, Your father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Wow. Because here's the deal. If you walk around unwilling to forgive someone over here, you really have not understood the real depth of your need to be forgiven. If you can't forgive, it's because you truly haven't embraced your deep capacity for sin and your need for forgiveness too. Every person that sins against you is someone that needs the same forgiveness that you need. You've heard it said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. If I got an enemy and they got an enemy, we're allies because we're going against my enemy. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. But can I say something to you? Can I put a little twist on that common thought? The friend of my enemy? The friend of your enemy is my God. And that enemy that you have allowed bitterness to take up residence in your heart against, Jesus loves them. We have gone toe to toe, face to face, nose to nose with politics, families, spouses, in nasty divorces, the enemy of my enemy is my friend friend of my enemy is my God. And we all are like sheep and we go astray. And you won't really understand the deep hearted renunciation, the full on confession of your sin until you see just how much you need forgiveness. The beauty of it is this, the forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. And this same grace is meant to flow wherever I go. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. But Jeremy, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they treated. You don't know what they said. I know. I know. Let me just end with this. The idea of forgive us our debts, that whole financial thing of debts and debtors. In another version, it says it this way. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Do you know what trespassing is? Where your feet go places they don't belong. Where you cross the line somewhere and you are somewhere you ought not be. And the truth is, whether you're online in Nacogdoches, one of our prison campuses right here at the broadcast location, there are some people that have trespassed on you. They've walked on your heart. They stomped in places that have wounded you. It's part of the beauty of Jesus that he would allow his own feet to walk the path to Calvary. That he would leave the pathways of heaven and take on the dusty streets of Nazareth and Galilee and Jerusalem would walk in our shoes and understand what it's like to be trespassed against. One of his own 12 betrayed him. He's feeding them on a hillside. And then they're crying, crucify him. And they choose a common criminal over him. They walked on him. They spat on him. And yet on the cross, the first words out of Jesus' mouth, Father, forgive them. And the them, the them is us. It's not a centurion. It's not Pilate. It's not Herod. It's all of us. As Jesus hung on the cross, he looks down the corridor of eternity. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I want to end with the four words that probably could end every single sermon you've ever heard. There are four action words that could end every sermon. Choices lead. Feelings follow. You may not feel like forgiving. Choose it. Choose the process. Choose it. Choices lead. Feelings follow. Jesus chose to go to the cross. Did he feel like it? No. His whole body was sweating blood. And yet he chose. And he did what he had to do. He did what he got to do. So all heads up and no eyes closed. You don't hear that in church many often, do you? Every head up, every eye open. Maybe you need to make a choice today to forgive someone. When you understand the depth of your own need for forgiveness, it helps you make that next choice. So if you're in one of our locations and you say, I need to forgive somebody, and I know that don't feel good right now, but I'm gonna make the choice and my feelings are gonna follow. I'm gonna trust God through it. 
you need to forgive somebody for something, you need to do it. If that's you, would you just raise a hand? Me too. Me too. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Now remember, there is nothing you could do that he's not willing to forgive. So now would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And at all of our locations, maybe you're here and the number one thing you need to realize is your sin separates you from God. But he loves you so much, he made a pathway to come back to him. Jesus lived the perfect life so you don't have to. Died the death to cover your sins so you can't, you can't cover it, he covered it. And if you need to embrace him as the center of your life, you would simply say, Jesus, forgive me of the stuff that's separated me from you. I give all I have and all I am to you. Thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at me, but for giving me this moment to make things right with you. I wanna follow you. Help me with my next steps. As we're still praying, if you're here and you raised a hand, you said, I need to forgive. Jesus, give us the strength, knowing that you forgave us first, you loved us first, and now we choose to forgive others. We have to let that go. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And now we thank you, Lord, that you're faithful, you're true. When you say you will make us white as snow, you do it. And even in this moment, you are purifying. You are, though our sin be like crimson, you make it white as snow. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.